Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 57 with Mike Marsh. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. What's happening guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, today we've got a fantastic guest for you, uh, really privileged that Mike Marsh has joined us to talk about his coaching journey. Um, Mike Marsh is uh, the assistant manager at Swansea City in the Championship, working under Steve Cooper, also previously worked at the FA, uh, was an in-possession coach and uh, famously won the Under-17s World Cup as assistant coach. Previously to that he was under worked under David Wagner at uh, Huddersfield and also uh, Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool as a first team coach and previously having stints in the academy there as a as a, as a coach as well. Uh, obviously also had a really illustrious playing career playing for Liverpool, West Ham and Galatasaray to name a few. Uh, really privileged like I say to, to get Mike on the show. First met Mike on an FA course maybe 2005 or something like that. Really friendly, loads of banter uh, but uh, as, you, as you get to know him he, you find that he's a real deep thinker about the game, real student of the game. Like I say this is really interesting, a real gripping uh, hour of chat about football uh, for someone who's really been there and done that not only as a player as a coach as well so a real class act and, and I know you're going to enjoy this one. Just a week go left now to the to the launch of the uh, My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy. You've got one week left to sign up. This is for players who want to take their game to the next level, who maybe want to supplement their team training with uh, experience, uh, what it's like to be in a Premier League academy in terms of uh, learning from some of the best youth developers in world soccer. We're pitching it at basically 12 onwards. Uh, that's how the tutorials and the classroom sessions are going to be going to be looking at. But really, is a complete player development uh, package. So if you want to uh, support your child's development with a first-class uh, player development program, make sure you check it out. Uh, remember, it's the only virtual academy in the world where you're going to get uh, technical, tactical, psychological, and physical development. So really excited! Like I said, we've got some top top. Uh, uh, practitioners involved, some of the best youth developers in world football. There's only a few places left, so like I said, on the 30th of um, November this kicks off, it's a three-month course, just a few places left. Uh, myself, Mark Reese, X-Man City Academy coach, uh, we've got Scott Checkleday, forward coach, used to work uh, at QPR and Tottenham, works with loads of pros now individually as a, as a forward specialist. Uh, Glenn Hicks, ex-Tottenham Hotspur Academy, top drawer as well. Uh, Simon Brundish, who's going to bring the physical corner to the table, one of the best uh, S&C guys in the game. And also then we've got, obviously, Steve Salas, who's going to be providing weekly mindset sessions uh, for the players. So really excited about that. You want to find out more, you can check out the link in the bio. Like I said, only a few places left. And obviously, uh, this is kicking off uh, next week on the 30th of November, so don't miss out. So, Mike Marsh, welcome to the show. Cheers, mate. Can, can you just give us a brief um, outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point, please, mate? Um, I'll have a go, mate. Could take a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my playing career was uh, varied, if you like. I started off at Liverpool. I went to Liverpool late, so I didn't join them until after I was 18. So I played for the local side. I was offered a trial and signed late, so I didn't join until I was 18. I spent uh, 
I spent six years at Liverpool before leaving in '93. Um, joined West Ham. Uh, left West Ham, went to Coventry. So played for three Premier League teams. Um, moved out to Turkey, played for Galatasaray for a short spell, and then come back to play for Southend United in the Championship for a couple of years. And then, unfortunately, was was hit by a knee injury that forced me to retire at 28. Um, from then, I went into playing non-league football, which where my coaching career really began. So I played for numerous clubs in the conference. I was taking player coaches' roles, etc. So I played for Southport, Barrow, Kidderminster, Boston, Accrington, Bersco. I was doing various player coaches' roles. That led me to taking coaching jobs in the conference when he eventually packed in football. So I've done a little bit of coaching at Southport and Northridge Victoria. Um, and that led me, I used to do Preston Kids um, when I was younger. I used to do the 14s as well as coaching in, in the conference. And then I went to join Liverpool. i done the 16s, 18s and the seniors at Liverpool. I left there, went to Huddersfield. I was first team coach at Huddersfield before moving on to England. I've done the 17s and 18s with England. Uh, left England to join Swansea about 18 months ago, and that's currently where I'm at. Wow! So yeah, quite a, quite a uh, quite a illustrious journey <laughs> already. <laughs> so let's we're gonna try and pinpoint. Obviously, I'm quite interested in your in your work in particular with the youth players because a lot of our coaches work with youth players. So what was the first one? Was that working with Preston? That was that with the Preston Academy. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I Preston as well as coaching all to Victoria. In the in the conference, yeah. So he's the coach. He's the coach Northwich in the day, and, and the kids are Preston in the evening. And then we'd have a game so, with Northwich on a Saturday, and we'd obviously have a game with Preston on a Sunday. What was that like then, in terms of coaching? How do you find coaching young players rather than coaching adults, or you know, playing with adults? Um, it's different. You know, your your goals and your your objectives have got to be different for young players rather than adults. Obviously, you're coaching adults; it's results and. You're, you're expected to, to win games of football and get three points. So it's a different agenda with younger players. It's their development. And how far they can go as an individual in a team game, really. So you'd have to but tailor I mean, it around that. What, but I'm interested, like, you know, in terms of those that first experience, what were the challenges for you? Did you find it difficult adapting? Did you have to change, you know, your communication skills and the way you delivered? What were the main things that, that stood out for you in that looking back at that first experience with the Preston Academy? Um, yeah, but you know what, looking back, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, and it's found on these days, I used to join in quite a bit. So yeah. it's, um, I was really fit, having not long finished football. And I, I could join in, I used to be part of the session, not in the middle of it, um, but on the outside and coach players from within the session, which which is, to be fair, mate, has stuck with me to, to where I'm coaching now. Would you like to be involved in the session and get a feel for how it looks inside the pitch rather than outside the pitch? But it's, um, that's a little bit frowned upon these days, really, about the, the coaching position of where I actually set myself up. Yeah, but I think it's different for you because obviously you you're such a you played at the highest level and you're still you can still play. I remember when we first met, you were I think just before you got your Liverpool job, we were at the Keel and the course, and you were you know yeah. you're you're running the sessions there for us, you know, shout out. So I think it's different if you're because it's like modelling, aren't you? You're modelling. You can go in and still model, you know, what you want at the highest level. Compared to maybe other coaches who can't can't do that. Yeah, well, yeah, well, a picture paints a thousand words, doesn't it? So if you can go in and show them what you want rather than try and explain it, 
I think it's I think it's a better option. I think that is a good a good asset to have as an ex player to still be able to to execute a skill that you're asking them to do, which as as you will know from your videos. Yeah. So what so tell us about then the first job at Liverpool in the work on the sixteens. How did that come about? And tell us a little bit about that in terms of what that was like it was going into the club that you played played for previously. I was um as I said, I was working at Preston. I got a phone call. There's going to be a, a rejigger at the academy in Kirby. Uh, there's going to be a few staff losing the jobs, and they were they were looking at employing uh, a different set of staff. I was asked whether to come along for a chat. Um, went along, spoke to Frank McParland. He asked me would I be interested in role, which I obviously was. Um, Steve Cooper, who was the manager at Swansea now, was the under 16s head coach. Um, I had a chat with Steve. He asked me where to come in and assist him in the under 16s, and and it went from there. And what were your first impressions in there in terms of working with Coops there and stuff? And in terms of the initial, you know, things that stood out for you? It was um, it was different from when I've been here previously. Where where the academy is based in Kirby is my hometown. So when I was growing up, that was um, public playing fields that being turned into a first grade top end academy, which the first team have actually just moved to it this this week. So it was um, so it was slightly different from what I'd seen it when I was a kid. And I used to demand the players every day when they come in that they're actually blessed to be in an environment that they're in because when I was playing there, you had to you had to dodge dodge the uh, the broken glass and the dog muck on the grass. <laughs> so it, was, it was a slightly different environment. I mean, but talk talk about in terms of. What did you see that was different in terms of the way the sessions were being delivered, the philosophy? Were there anything different in there? Was it, you know, just the same, you know, Liverpool as old? No, it, it, it was different. We had, a, we had a new technical director in place. So we had a lad called um, Pep Segura, who was the technical director, and he was assisted um, by Rodolfo Barrell. Um, Peps went back to Barcelona and ended up being their technical director and Rodos, uh, assistant manager at Man City. So we had a couple of guys come from Barcelona who had their own ideas of how you were expected to coach. And, and they chunked it up for us, really. It was a three or four-part session, technical, tactical, game-related stuff and finish with a game at the end. And that was how you that was how you had to coach. You could put your own slant on it, but they, they put the ideas forward and then you you were let loose and run with it, really. But it was, Can you give us a look? Can you give us an example of that session, what that looked like, and give us like a typical session, what that might be? Yeah, it, was, it, it sticks with us to this day. So you could have a technical exercise, which would lead into a possession. A game-related practice would follow that, and then it'd be a game. So it was a logical sequence where a technical exercise would lead into a possession. If you could link it, it'd be great, and so much the better. That would lead into the game-related exercise, that areas that you want to improve on or what was coming up at the weekend. And obviously the game at the end where you can practice what you've been preaching for the past 35, 45 minutes. So what so gives an example of a technical what, what might a technical thing look like at that in that beginning part? Well it would depend on 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 what the proposed technical exercise was for that week. So all the technical exercises were passing, dribbling, shooting, etc. What the focus was on. Is it what what the game plan would be and what what the what you were trying to focus on for that week. So you're expected to link it back right from the very first kick of the ball right to the end of the practice. And what was good practice is that you had to have all your session plans in, you had to have them on the technical director's desk and you had to be able to explain what you were doing and it was used for. So it was, it was, a, it was a real good test of your, of your coaching ability. It stopped you from being lazy and you had, you had so to justify every element of your practice. 
did you was it did you find any was it any what the challenges in there were there any challenges about that in terms of you know changing the way you'd been coaching previously or working within that within those conditions or was it just literally you know it was pretty similar to what you've been doing no i really enjoyed it as i said when i was at when i was at preston i used to i used to tend to join in and we used to just play football with the occasional occasional tactical element but that was the level I was working at. You know, I turned up at Liverpool. I've got a technical director from Barcelona who's put more more demands on me, which I really enjoyed. You know, I've found as time's gone by that I really enjoyed the practice design and uh, and putting things in place where where sessions run smoothly and there's a there's a reason and a rationale for everything that you delivered in every session. So it's it's something that I really enjoyed and I've took forward with. Okay, then so then talk talk. Um... Took a little bit about then going moving to the first team. How, how did that happen? How did that come about? I was um, I've done a couple of years with the sixteens as an um, assistant coach, head coach, and then I took the eighteens on as head coach. And then when Brendan was given a job, I received a phone call off the academy director, Frank McParland, asking would I be interested in in going to have a look. And help Brendan out because it was a it was a tournament year that year and a lot of internationals were arriving back late and he was asking sorry about the noise sorry. and he was asking um, could someone come along and help him because a lot of the young players would have to be going up to Melwood so I was invited up because a lot of a lot of the seniors were missing a lot of young players went up I went up there to help basically familiarise Brendan with who the young players were. I was then invited to pre-season tour in America. Um, so we spent two weeks out in Boston. Uh, on the way back on the plane from Boston, uh, and then asked me would I, would I be interested in stepping up and taking the job on a permanent basis. Uh, it went from there, really. I'm always interested to, you know, to people talk about how football's evolved or changed. What are the main differences between when you were a player there coming through and then that time then, you know, as a assistant coach? Um, but the main difference was we didn't really get coached when we were playing there. We were expected to sink or swim, really. You know, we didn't do a lot of coaching. It was, it was a lot of small-sided games. Um, and that was it, really. We, you know, we played five-a-sides for the majority of, majority of the time. So other than playing 11v11s in games, there's a lot of small-sided games and there, there wasn't a lot of coaching going on. You know, there's, there's information given. And, you know... There wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of stuff that goes on now with opposition analysis and set plays, etc., etc. You, you were thrown in and expected to to stand your ground. If you could, you played. If you couldn't, you didn't. Because now they get they get mountains of information um, as yeah. opposed to what we used to get, which was next to nothing. You were expected to work it out for yourself. Right. Um, so it, so it is different. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I think there's a happy medium where. You know, we could give players less information and expect them to make decisions for themselves. But I think them days are gone. I think the players expect it now. You know, you've got to give them as much information as you can to help them perform on, on game day. Interesting. And tell us a bit about then your your role specifically in terms of what we what would you you know your day to day week your day to day or your week be like? You know, in delivering sessions and how that's how that work. Uh, you're talking about Liverpool now. Yeah, Liverpool. Just reflecting on that first time. Yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah, it was difficult really the first year because Brendan was a very much hands-on coach. So he used to take a lot of the sessions himself and then you you had me and Colin Pascoe with his assistants. Um, 
we used to take the sessions after after the games, if you like, before before the, the lead into the next game. So Brendan he'd, he'd lead, lead most of the sessions leading into games, and we'd take sessions after games, um, which I, I found a bit frustrating after spending three years at the academy taking every session uh, with my team. So I found that a little bit frustrating. Um, but about twelve months in, I think Brendan got a little bit of trust um, in my ability as a coach, if you like, give me a little bit more to do, and I've obviously got my teeth into it. And then you find a bit more of a rhythm in the in the day to day stuff with the seniors, and then. You feel a bit more comfortable with, obviously, a bit more responsibility. Tell us a bit about then your your your, your practice design and your delivery. What were the challenges, and how is that you know delivering when you got those superstars in the team compared to when you were working with sixteens or, or previously? Yeah, nothing changes really, mate. It was um, my practice design is always based around is it a, a, a player's area of development? How can he get better? how can he get better? How can he improve his strengths or or what he's going to come up against in the face of the weekend in a game. So it's as simple as that. It's can we incorporate into the session the needs of the player, whether it's area development, improve his strengths, or, or in the game. And if, if that's not in the session, I think I'm selling the players short. So I try and make sure that they're always, them three parts are always in the session, at least, at least one of them. So tell us about that process then. I mean, so you got you got a player, for instance, like Sterling, who was at the club at the time. How do you like, you know, how do you identify his areas of development while weighing up the other players in the squad and how much time you, you know, tell me about that process, how you're identifying and deciding who's going to be working on what in the session and building it into your team sessions. Yeah, well, it's as I said, it's blending to take a lot of the a lot of the games leading up, but we split groups, so we'll have defenders, attackers, and midfielders. And in the main, take the midfielders. Brendan would do uh, the defenders, and Pascal do the attackers. So you're responsible for your own units, really, and you know, giving them ideas of what the opposition are going to offer you, spaces that they where you can expose them, and highlighting areas. Say, for instance, if if they don't track back, and the likelihood is you're going to be able to get finishes arriving at the edge of the box, uh, that type of stuff. So you're just looking at the, the upcoming fixture. Here's what they're going to offer you. I think we need to practice this, etc. etc. You need to be arriving in these areas if you want to take advantage of what the opposition are going to give us. But regarding the likes of Raheem and players like that, you're just highlighting. Uh, you, you might you might be saying to them, listeners, you want to be making out to win runs to score goals rather than making runs to cross the ball. You know, the, the second centre half on your side is not the quickest. You, you might be want to run it off his shoulder and letting them practice and giving them real time opportunity to practice in the game before the game. Interesting, and 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 it's, and it's quite because you have that unique experience of um, obviously playing and then work with young players and then working in the first team as well. How does it marry up in terms of the priorities? In terms of you know, how, is there t- you talked about when you were playing, you just, it was sink or swim. How much time you know do you get to develop the players while they're at that top end? You know, and how much opportunity do they get? And if it doesn't work, you know, they're sort of they don't get the opportunity. Maybe. Um, well, it's at that top end is as as much as the player wants it really. You know, is the players who are playing are generally playing and then recovering, and then the players who are trying to get into the team do a lot of that work that I've just spoke about. But once they're in the team, it's it's difficult to maintain that because of the the games program. If you're coaching at a team at the top end of the Premier League, you're playing every three days. So whether it's Premier League football, Champions League, Europa League, League Cup games, they come thick and fast. So if you're in the team, once you're playing, you're recovering. So you, you just it's maintenance work really. But the ones who aren't in the team, 
that's where you've got a real opportunity to focus on the areas of development or making them better and developing the strengths. So, so, I mean, do they, so there's opportunities for those players to do extras. I mean, do they do stuff after training, that sort of thing, and come to yeah, you and say, well, Look, I want to work on this? Yeah, well, well, I had my hip replaced um, three, three years ago. Um, and the reason, the reason behind it, really, was I used to spend an, an hour on a daily basis with, with small groups of players, developing their needs, really. They'd come to me and say, I want to work on this, X, Y, and Z. And I'd try and incorporate it with two or three players, just... So it wasn't individual based and it could look like a game, really. So people wanted to do cross, people who wanted to do head or the longer range passing. I'd try and incorporate that practice uh, for the three of them. And that'd be on a daily basis. That was, and that was for three years. So <laughs> unfortunately, that, that was why my hip needed uh, in place. So there's a lot of... Uh, what would you say that the main difference are but was, is between professionals now at the top end and when you were there, when you were, when you were playing for Liverpool? Uh, well, well, one word you've just said, there's the more professional. So it's uh, uh, the differences. Yeah, they, they, they need sleeping. Everything's football now, isn't it? 100%. You know, it, the attitude to train and the work ethic, everything's improved. Um, they want to be the best they can be and they've got, they've got access to it. So if you fall short in today's age, with all the facilities and information and the staff that you've got at your disposal. Um, and what do you think, what would be the, the main takeaways working under Brendan at that time as for you as a coach? Um, main takeaway? Brendan, he's a real people's person. You know, he's, um, he's good. He got the players on side. Very good man manager. You know, built relationships with the players. So it's um, so yeah. So that that'd be the main thing I take away from Brendan is that he's um, like a lot like a lot of top end managers. He's he's very good with players on a personal level. Okay, cool. So then tell us about then uh, you leave Liverpool. What's your next? Tell us about the next uh, coaching role you took up. I uh, went to Huddersfield with David Wagner. Um, yeah, which was an interesting. Interesting um, role for me. I was offered a couple of roles in the championship, actually. And then I was asked, would I be interested in going to speak to the Huddersfield? Not on that, David was coming in from Fisher Dortmund's second team um, to take charge. And I thought, I'd like to have a little go at that because I, I was interested in, in what I could pick up from and what I could learn. And so how long did you spend with David Wagner at Huddersfield? I was there. I went to think it was when in September or October, and left at the end of that season. What had happened when I left Liverpool? I um, I done some part time work with the FA, working with England, and I was um, I was told that if the jobs became available on a permanent basis, I would have a, I'd have a good chance of, of being successful if I applied. But in the meantime, so the Huddersfield job became available, so I took the Huddersfield job, and shortly afterwards, I went for the job interview with England and was offered a position. Cool, so, so let's just wind back then, let's just wind back to the Huddersfield role, David Wagner, you talked about, you know, what would you pick up from him? Tell us then, what did you pick up for him? What was that experience like working for David who comes from different footballing culture? Um, what, what were the main differences, contrasts and things from that experience? Uh, he's very good. Um, I've getting very simple messages across. They didn't overcomplicate things. 
He had a way of playing with a 4-2-3-1. Everyone knew the jobs. Uh, in, in and out of possession. Didn't complicate it from week to week. Um, re really good, simple messages. Consistent. Um, what he was really good at, which at the time we needed it because we didn't win as many as, we, as we'd have liked, was getting over defeat. He, he just packed his feet and moved on as if it, it never happened. So it's um, he was... He's outstanding at, at being able to park that move on to the next game. Was there anything tactically new he brought to the table that maybe you know new things that you were he showed you and the other coaches? Uh, no, no, he, he'd come in obviously from Dortmund. Um, all the stuff he brought in I'd, I'd seen before, but delivered in a different way. Um, it was just how he delivered the message. You know what he asked you to do was very simple. Uh, whether you were defending. You know, defending from the front, in the front three or the front two, same message every week. If it's if these play like this, we play like this, and he was um, and, and he stuck with that consistently right the way through. And what, what about like session design, anything like that? His delivery sessions, anything, anything interesting you picked up from those? He was mad on transition, so he's um, like a lot of a lot of German coaches. He's he, he's really hot on on counter attack football, so he was. Um, a lot of the sessions that he, that he delivered had an element of transition in, and the, most of the focus would be on transition. So he he wasn't overly concerned on building and creating attack. He, he sometimes actually preferred you to give the ball away so you can counter attack and counter press. Do you, do you think that counter pressing that thing's one of the major differences to very much a Sorry. German thing and a British Dortmund? Sorry, mate, I lost you there a bit. So, so do, you, do you think that you talk about that being a British Dortmund thing, German thing? Is that another, you know, one of the main differences from football when you were playing? Is that high pressing game that's now sort of such a common part of football these days? Um, I've got to be honest with you. Um, having come through at Liverpool, it wasn't so much of a culture shock to me as as a player because Liverpool were pressing the life out of teams back in the day. Also, and it was a, something that you were expected to to do as. You know, when we press, we all go together. You turn it over, you come in behind the, in behind the press. So, as I said, it, I didn't learn anything new from it. It was just, just delivered in a different way. But yeah, I, I suppose the, that's the, that's that's the interesting thing. Sorry, Marsha, to interrupt you, mate. I suppose that's interesting, though, isn't it? How you deliver it? Like you said, you were like expected to know it, and you know, so the intricacies of pressing high and teaching yeah. that to young your young players were going a minute FA. I mean, they, is that is that more of a challenge than you know than could, that might be? Yeah, well, well, do you know what? Back in the day, the players taught you how to do it. So it wasn't so much the coaches coaching, it was the players coaching. So if you came in, you were a young player and you were in the team and you didn't know your job, the players would teach you, come here, go there, do this, do that, wait, wait, wait. So the players coached you. The, the coaches never really coached you. These days, obviously, that that's changed. The, co the, the coach is being given a bigger role and more responsibility and he's expected to have the answers for the players. So he sets the players up, tells them what the strategy is and then it's up to the players to... To deliver for them, but, but back in the day, the players coached you, and if you if you didn't pick up the cues off the players, as I said, you you soon found out and didn't play that often. Do you think that that way is almost like you said, figuring it out yourself supports players because they become a little bit more independent and you know, decision makers, like the big key word these days. Um, well, I said yeah, I think there's a happy medium, you know. I don't think you should give the players all the answers because it's not a theoretical exercise. You've got to go out and practice it. You know, sometimes it looks different on the grass than it does in a classroom. So, you know, if you can paint a few pictures and let them know what they're expecting and 
I, I think it, it benefits the player. But I don't think you should give them every every scenario that's going to become available because it's too time-consuming. You lose engagement with the player. So, for me, you paint a picture or two. So, you know, you might come up against this. That's, this could be a strategy to expose it. But I don't think you can give them everything. I think there's got to be a happy medium somewhere along the line. And, and so there was, a, there was a lot of controversy or, you know, when uh, David Wagner got the job. Because, you know, what, what's your thoughts on people talking about, you know, a lot of foreign coaches coming in, you know, and, and the people saying maybe they, they're bringing something different to the table than the English coaches. What's your opinion on that? Well, they do bring something different, don't they? You know, coaching's coaching, so, you know, there's not going to be a million miles different um, from from English coaches on, on what they actually deliver. Sometimes where they are different is the mentality and how they go about things. You know, the, the biggest thing I learned from David was to, how to accept defeat and move on. You know, he, he didn't blink if we lost. You know, as soon as that day was gone, he moved on. I moved on to the next game where, you know, it keep me awake thinking, how have we lost that? How do we get better, etc., etc. He just, for him, it was accept it. And, you know, move on. We've got another game on Wednesday. So that was the biggest thing I learned from from him as a as a manager, he was outstanding at it. So then talk about then you, you go for the, the job at the FA. Why did you want to go and work with the FA and, and not carry on working in and in, in uh, the Championship or the Premier League? Well, I've been on a number of courses um, at St George's at the FA. I've um, so uh, I've got the pro license, so I've been on every course that they can chuck at you. Um, so I haven't been in the building. Look, thinking I'd like to coach at the FA, but I didn't think I'd ever get the opportunity. And then when I left Liverpool, I got a phone call asking me would I be interested in coming in on a part-time basis, which I did, and I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know what, I'd like to give that a go um, if full-time position ever become available. Um, so when I went to Huddersfield and I was offered the job of the FA, I told David, I said, listen, the FA have offered me a position, um, and I wanted to accept it. I had a six-month notice period on my contract at Huddersfield. Um, we had a bit of woman in Arden. He wasn't keen on me leaving. I've not been there too long. Um, so my answer to him was, uh, I, th I think I could get a job in the Championship um, in the future. I don't think this opportunity will come back to work with the national teams. I said, so if I don't accept it now, I might never get a goal in the future. So that was me rationale behind it. Um, so that, that's what I've done. I accepted a position with the FA and, and left others. And to be fair, once I left the FA, I'm now back working in the Championship with Swansea. So I found out what I said was true. Mm. And so, and what was, the, what was the role you took with the FA then? What was the, your, your job title? Uh, my job title, I was, at a, I was an in-possession specialist right. for the under-17s. Right. So they had, they had a different model of working at the FA. So we had... An in possession specialist, out of possession specialist, and a head coach. Um, fortunate for me, my head coach is Coops, who I've worked with, as you know, for, for a long time now at Liverpool and at the FA and now Swansea. So he was my head coach, and I was it was my responsibility to develop, implement the in possession strategy for games and tournaments for the 17s and 18s. Okay, just tell us about then. You said you like when you're in the building. You thought, yeah, you liked you like the sort of feeling of this, the culture. Tell us a bit about the culture at the time. We've, we've spoken to people, the other people who were involved with the FA, the new DNA project. You know, in you know, in full fat, you know, full flow. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that like? Impressions, first impressions of the culture there. Yeah, well, it reminded me a lot of when I first went to 
Liverpool when Frank McParland changed all the staff and brought new staff in inside a new way of working. So it it looked very much like that. Dan Ashworth was the big driver of what was going on with the development teams at Matt Crocker. I thought, you know what, I wouldn't mind jumping on at the start to see where this goes. Um, so it was really good. You had to be accountable for your job. You know, what you delivered. I was standing up in front of a group of national coaches and said, we've done this, this, and this. This is why. These are the outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. And myself open to be criticised on, on all levels by, by different coaches. So it was, it was a brilliant learning curve for me. I really enjoyed it. It was... It was it was really successful. We won the World Cup. Uh, I'm sure they won the Euros on, on a couple of occasions. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. I, I wouldn't have swapped them. I'm glad. I'm glad that I went. As daft as it sounds, I left to join the FA. Huddersfield got promoted, and people thought I'd be disappointed. It was, I was, I was delighted for Huddersfield that they got promoted, but I was delighted for myself that I was working in an environment where I could learn so much. So, so tell us some of the things you did learn. How did you, you know, what did you, how did you develop? What was those things you, you picked up from being in that that environment? Well, people have a different way of doing things. Obviously, you're coming together as different age groups and there's an in-possession specialist for every age group. You know, so you'd sit down and we'd, we'd discuss um, what my methods were as opposed to theirs. You know, and then we'd have to put, we put it out really to, to the group because we had, we had to build a document of how we play, which which they use in the national programs now for the for the education and stuff like that. So it's how we play. You know, alongside it and clips and footage from training and games and, and what, what does it mean to be an England coach and England player and, and how does it look really? So it was um, there was a lot of responsibility. Um, and to be fair, with the, the quality in the building, you had to be really good at your job just to just to stay on an even keel. So it was, it was great. So tell us a bit about your role then as a possession coach. How did you, that work in terms of, you know, for instance, you got though you got, you got an international break, you got a few days with the players, with the boys. How, how did you work within that within that group? And when did you know, when did you get, when did you get your opportunity on the grass? How did your relationship work with the head coach? Well, luckily enough is that we didn't have an, an outer possession coach for a while. So it was basically a two-man team. So it was me and Coops. So I do the in possession, you do the out of possession. And it was very much like we were previously, but we just take responsibility when we were off the grass for, for, for both sides of the game. But while we were on the grass, it was it was what we normally do, really. Is add coach up until the game day minus one, and then Coops would take over for the, the tactical element before we, we play the game. So it didn't really change that much. The, 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 biggest, the biggest difference was what you had to do off the pitch. Which is in the in possession specialist, if you like, was you know, you had to report back to the other people in the group and obviously the senior management team about what you do and why, what the objectives were and where where they met. So on the grass, it didn't it didn't change that much for me. Off the pitch, there's a massive difference about you know justifying your work to a, to another group of staff. And tell us something you know. You know, so for instance, what would a typical session look like on the pitch? Would it just be the same as you've done everywhere else? I mean, what you know, what's the typical session with the boys look like in possessions with the seventeens? Well, again, it always it always come back to the, the game that was coming up, um, an area where we fell short in the last game, or the players' um, development needs, whether a weakness or a strength, and it all relate back to them. Who the focus is on in the group whether it was a team focus, whether it was on an individual, and it had always come back to that. And, and to be fair, 
we've got a group of staff who challenge each other. You know, it's my job to put the sessions together, and then I'll be quizzed in a, in a technical meeting about why we're doing this, what's the rationale, who does it benefit, etc. And uh, we'd always go down that road. We'd meet before training, deliver the session, we'd meet after training, and we'd be quizzed again. Did it work? What worked well? Even better if, etc. So it was. Yeah, it was a real challenge. So who, so, so, so who would like? Who, so who would then be quizzing you? Who'd be like your line manager in effect? Then saying, you know, challenging you on 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 your, you know, keeping on your toes, as it were. Yeah, well, it was everyone who was involved in the session. So you'd have you'd have the fitness coach, the head coach, the goalkeeping coach. Um, we'd all sit down. We'd all, all have a cup of coffee after training. And it's, uh, to be fair, it wasn't friendly, but we had all friends. But. It wasn't friendly, you know. It, it was, it was a challenge to to justify your rationale if you if you wanted to get something put into a session that wasn't agreed with, and then you just had to cross your fingers that it worked because you know they're coming after <laughs> you if it if it was a mess. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was a it was a real good environment uh, to be in, a, a real challenge because you had to justify everything that was on the grass. But if, I think I picked that up from when I went back to Liverpool. At the academy at the second time working under Pep Segura, mm. where I knew that he'd be coming after me at the weekend if if I'd done something that he didn't agree with, and I'd have to have a, a rationale behind it. Interesting. So tell us a bit about then the, the you know going on to win the World Cup. Tell us a bit about the preparation for that. How did that work in terms of you as your role then? How are you preparing the boys for that uh, tournament when you're going to be playing lots of different teams, lots of different styles of play? Um, we'd had a good prep for it. We'd we'd played the Euros and. In Croatia, in I think it was May, uh, we lost in the final on penalties to Spain. So we had a month in Croatia. We played every game, went to the final, lost on penalties, and then with that same team that had qualified for the World Cup, we then we had a couple of games in prep, and then we went to India in October, September, October time with the same group of players. Um, Fortunately enough to get the final again, met Spain again. Um, 2-0 down after half an hour, ended up coming back and winning 5-2. So we'd, we'd had good, good prep in Croatia for what a, a tournament looked like. We knew we had a good team. Um, I think a big thing for me when you're out of coach is knowing that I've got good players and when to step step away and let them play. Well, I think you can do more of a hindrance than a help sometimes. They're definitely That was definitely a group of players that you could leave alone and just point them in the right direction. So uh, is- less information, the better for them. Interesting because you, you talked uh, previously when you were at Liverpool and or you know the the, the you know the difficulty with having such a t- tight fixture list. What was that like in the, in the tournament when you know you got game after game and you know you're sort of trying to, to you know maintenance and that sort of thing? Uh, it's really tough. International football is tough as people are finding out at the minute with the injuries coming back from the from the from the recent international break, but. Uh, we're fortunate enough. We we had a coach who's now followed us to Swansea, Dave Tivy, who's excellent physical strength and conditioning coach, outstanding. So he, he'd give us guidance in what we could and couldn't do. You, you know, we got a game every three or four days. You're out there for 35 days. So it's um, keeping everyone fit and available, you know, and ready for peak performance. It's something something that you don't pick up overnight international football. I think it takes a good 12 months to, to learn how to get into a rhythm of it, really. It's... Um, by the time we got to India, we were uh, we were ready and we were good to go. So uh, we finished that tournament. We had everyone fit and available, um, and in peak performance for that game against 
Spain before we came on. So we planned right, the prep was right. And, and obviously that was justified with the... And so tell us a little bit about then, you know, you mentioned before that that group, that pretty much, you know, that, that really unique set of players you had with you, Foden, Sancho, Brian Brewster, you know, Fo, you know, Kirby, Tashana Klebuf, those like so many, so many top, top young technical players, Hudson Adoy, list goes on. What was that like working with that group and challenging them and what were those personalities like? And what was it like for you? What are the challenges for you, you know, with those sorts of guys? Uh, the challenges, obviously, with a group of players like that, you're expected to go far in each tournament. Um, working with them on a daily basis is, is great. Uh, I'd obviously not long been out of uh, working at senior football with Liverpool, with your Gerrards, so I was used to working with top end players, but to come into an environment like that with kids who were desperate to, and desperate to win, it was um, it's brilliant, brilliant. You know, they, they were all ears. As I said, we didn't go in for overkill with information. We knew they were good players. We knew we were a good team. We used to give them pointers of where we can hit the opposition. You know, highlighted. You know, we can expose them in here if you get it there often enough. And because they're such good players, more often than not, that that was the case. So you didn't have to do. I'd be lying if I said we coached them into into being World Cup winners. We just had to point them in the right direction. And tell us about that game of Spain then, that famous now famous game, 2-0 down. What was that like? What are your thoughts on the sideline when you're, you're losing 2-0 in that, in that game against Spain and you're coming back? <laughs> As you know, what we were playing really well, you know, was daft as it sounds. So, um, so we're in India. We're playing in front of packed crowds. There's 60-odd thousand people in the, in the stadium. And um, yeah, we're 2-0 down. But we're playing really well. I thinking, you know, come on, just give us a break here. And, um, and luckily enough, we, we got a goal back just before just before half-time. Um, goes in at 2-1. And the players were doing their own team. Talk about we're well in the games, no need to panic, get the next goal, we, you know, we're going to win it. So that, that was the players, really. We were giving the information that we was going to give. So we didn't really have to back it up with anything else. Just show a bit of belief. Make sure you get the next goal. You know, don't make it too hard for yourself. If you go three one down, it's going to be a mountain to climb. Got the next goal early, and, and to be fair, we ran out comfortable winning. But um, if you look on players on both teams who, who are now playing senior, senior football and the level that they're playing at, you, you realise now how much of a high level game it was. Interesting. And then so let's about the final then, and what was that like in terms of you on the side and the coach you winning? What sort of what sort of feelings were going through your head, and how how proud were you of your, your boys and yourselves and Coops and everyone? Uh, do you know what? I, I was made up for the lads because it was an absolute. Uh, it was a dagger in the heart when we when we were in Croatia because we lost we lost with the last kick of the game. So what what a doubt we're winning two one, and they've managed to get a corner which they keep them going forward and you know closing the box and we managed to get a first contact and, and the goalkeepers got to go to his hands and go to a penalty do so. Our goalkeeper's in tears. You know, he's, he's the short because he thinks he's cost us the Euros. Goes to the shootout and, and we lose on the shootout. But we deserve to win the tournament. You know, the, the lads have put so much effort in. But fair play to Spain on the day. You know, whoever wins deserves it, don't they? And then when we meet in the final, we're 2 0 down. You think, oh, come on, we're playing as well as ever and this is a bit unjust. But then, then they put the foot on the gas, to be fair. And I'm, Ran on five two winners. It was, it was a brilliant experience. It's going to win the World Cup at whatever level as a coach. It's an um, it's an outstanding achievement and something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. It's it's right up there with anything I've achieved. It's um, yeah, brilliant achievement. 
I'm not really that. It brings the experience and such an enjoyable experience in a country as, as different as India. You know, it was a, it was everything I hoped and wished international football would be. So then, tell us about then your your move to Swansea, how that came about, and that transition. Uh, moved to Swansea. I was on holiday in France, and um, and I'd gone on to France with my wife, and I got a phone call off Coops. He said, "I think I've got a chance of getting a Swansea job. Would you be interested?" I said, um, "Yeah, I think I think it's run its course with the FA. I think I've done I've done what I come here to do. And if you get the job, um, yeah, I won't be interested." He rings me back an hour or so later. He said, "Yeah, I think I'm, I'm right in the frame. You know, um, I need to to know whether it's yet or no." I said, "Yeah, count me in. Count me in." So. That's how it happened. I come home a couple of days later, um, got in the car, met up with Coops, drove down to Swansea, um, signed a contract, and, and we were off and running, off to Spain for a pre-season camp. So, uh, so tell us about then those, what are the what are the challenges your first experiences of being going back into, you know, day-to-day football, uh, coming back out of international football, and then going into a new club, what was that like, you know, a new club that you, you hadn't been before, new players, getting motivated in those sorts of guys? Yeah, well, it's always difficult when you when you come into a new club as a coach, isn't it? Because obviously the players are looking at you have to say, does he, does he know what he's talking about? Um, trying to convince them and give them the confidence that, you know, you, you can coach and you can help them win games. Um, but, but that didn't take long. We, we went off to a good start uh, in pre-season and during the league programme. So it, it never takes long to settle in a football club, especially especially when you've been to different football football clubs as a player or a coach. You know, about the transition and how to manage yourself and you know, the relationships with others. I mean, you've obviously been working with um, Coots for quite a while. Was it then just you know business as usual? Like you said, you do the in possession stuff, you do the out possession stuff, or you know, any sort of unique sort of things you did there? Anything different to your usual working relationship? No, in the main, as I said, when we were at the FA, I'd be in possession, he'd be out of possession, but that would only be. Um, off the grass, really. O- on the grass, it's uh, in the main. I take the lead up to the game, and then he take game day minus one. It's pretty much, pretty much what we do here. You know, it's I'll take the lead up. So we play on Wednesday. I'll take the Thursday. He'll take the Friday. And we have a game on a Saturday. So not much has changed really from the working relationship that we had um, at the FA or when we were at Liverpool. So we divvy the work up. He takes the tactical element, the game day minus one, and then we then we. Alan Tate, who's got his first team coach in the, the middle of last season. He's been a real bonus because he's played about 500 games since Swansea and he's, he brings a, a tactical element to the coaching team. He's, he's an outstanding defender and he's, he adds another element for us. In terms of your work then, working with the guys there, how much of your work is, you know, this is what we do, this is what, how, you know, these are our strengths to compare to now, this is what your position do. This is what their strengths are. How can we, you know, react to that? So, I mean, so what's, how do you sort of approach that sort of training? Yeah. Well, if you're looking at a percentage, it would probably be a 60, 40, 70, 30 in favour of what we're going to do against them. We do highlight what the opposition are going to do. But when we do highlight it and we practice what the opposition are going to do, it's then with a view to what we do when we get the ball back. So we're trying to cover both bases. So we don't just... We don't just put sessions on with where we have to 
defend, then it stops. We have to defend, and then there's a transition to what it looks like once we get the ball. So there's always two sides of the game for us. You know, you're attacking and defending in the transition in between. And how does it look once you get the ball back, whether you're defending or attacking? And um, what's it like, like dealing with the pressure at working that level compared to, you know, where you've worked previously? Well, for instance, at England, you know. Uh, truth be told, there was no no real pressure at England other than the pressure that you put on yourself to, to deliver <laughs> deliver to the, the group of coaches that you, you've put on. You put on sessions that that you can justify. Really, it was it's under 17s, under 18s football. In the grand scheme of things, it's development football. So there's no real pressure other than what you expect from yourself. Obviously, it's diff- different when you're playing senior football and you're playing for three points and you're on the telly every week, whether you're on on Quest or live on Sky, etc. So there's a, there's a different pressure that comes with senior football, development f- football for me. There shouldn't be any pressure. Um, I think if there is any pressure, I think it. I think it manages to find a way to the players and they don't perform as well as they should. So tell us a bit about the pressure then. What is that? What's that like dealing with the pressure then day to day at working a championship and, you know, needing to perform and get those three points? Do you know what? It's it's not a pressure that you're thinking, uh, a press, pressure of the job. It's more a workload issue than a pressure. Uh, we've just had an international break. We've got a game tomorrow. And then we go right through till January the second. I think we've got twelve games in forty days, or there's a game every three days, right until, up until January. So it's um, the, the workload is an issue, obviously, because you, you you've got to deliver deliver your sessions to get the lads prepped for the game, and then you've got to keep the lads who aren't playing ready to go in the second group, if you like, ready to ready to play if they're needed. So it's um, yeah, the, the workload is the biggest pressure that we face, I think. And tell us a bit about. I mean, you've, you've, you've obviously you're known now at giving youngsters opportunities. You had a lot of young players in the last couple of seasons playing with you guys. Tell us about that. And obviously, you've obviously had the relationship with them because your time at England and those sorts of things. What, is there any added pressure to that? And what's it like having those younger players around the squad? Um, it's been it's been great to be fair. It's it's great having young players around the squad, especially top end ones. Um, so. We had Ryan in last year. He obviously come in, done, done really well for us. Conor Gallagher, who's again, he done really well for us. We got a couple in this year. Mark Gui has been outstanding from Chelsea. Morgan Gibbs White's come in from Wolves. All players who played for us in the Under 17s World Cup brought Joel Latibaldier in from Manchester City as another young player. But we've got our own here at Swansea. Joe Rodden's just moved on to Tottenham. Ben Cabango's in the team at 20. You know, so we we've got young players. Liam Cullen, a striker. You know, he's jumping at the bit for a chance. So. We're keen to give young players a go. You know, it's, um, we've come from a background in, in academy football and development football where we want to see what the next stage is for the players. And I, I think I think the more you can get in, the better. But the, um, Obviously, you need to supplement it with a bit of experience. But I mean, that's quite a brave approach, isn't it? I mean, you know, they, they, uh, you know people talk famously and win nothing with kids. They, they all think that cliche that was proved wrong. But I mean... Do you have to be a bit brave and a bit more patient with the young players, or just if you've got the top end ones, they're just you know they're going to provide anyway? Well, we know they're going to make mistakes, but but they all make mistakes, don't they? Football's a game of mistakes. So whether you're whether you're a player full of experience or whether you're a young player making your way, you're going to make mistakes. You know, it's, it's just it's just viewed in a different way. We, we had three centre backs last season. We had Ben Cabango, uh, Mark Gilly, and Ben Wilmot. Who Benny's now senior for Wales. Um, Ben Wilmot's playing for Watford, England under 21. Mark, who's playing for England under 21s. What, three babies? 
He's only 23, I think. Fred for the goalkeeper, which is really young. So, if you put three, the older centre halves in, they're still going to make mistakes. It's just that if you put three youngies in, it's highlighted a bit more. And what about in terms of like uh, recruitment of players, thinking about you know how to strengthen the squad? Do you get involved with that that part of the uh, the game with with the manager and the recruitment staff? Yeah, we're all heavily involved. So we've got Andy Scott here, who's the um, head of recruitment. Um, we've got ongoing discussions. Obviously, it's a bit difficult with the pandemic. You know, how do we meet and when do we meet? During the lockdown, we used to meet on a regular basis through Zoom, players' videos, etc. Well, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility from all the staff to to look at players that we have the chance to maybe get in the building uh, in the future. So it's not just left to one or two people. It's all our responsibility. And um, how, where do you stand on this sort of like the idea about a, a way to play? Do you, are, you, are you sort of, um, do you think there's a certain way you should play football? I mean, you obviously you're lucky you played at, you know, Liverpool and West Ham were at big, big philosophies of, you know, playing football on the floor, playing, you know, possession type football and you've worked at clubs. Do you think that's a really important part of your philosophy? And does, is it, is there any danger? The question is really, you know, working in the championship when, you know, times get tough, is there time to compromise that? Um yeah, there's a time and place to play football. I, I, I'm not a football snob by any means. You know, if I'm going to watch a game or if I'm playing in it myself, I'd like the ball on the ground and I want, I want to play football. But yeah, there's a time and a place. If people set up in a different way and want to crash it from back to front and play for seconds, they're, they're well within the rights. We try and do it a different way. We try and play through the thirds. But that's our choice. That's our choice. But, you know, the, the, there is sometimes we, we have been a bit naive on one or two occasions where we tried to play when you need to... to in our lines, but we're encouraging the players to play. That's the play for play the way that we play. And what about yourself? What's your what's your own aspirations for the future? I mean, you've, you've um, been in the assistant role a lot. Do you, do you aspire to be the uh, the head coach? Um, million dollar question, that mate. <laughs> I'm 51 now, um, so. I would suggest if, it, if I was going to go down the head coach manager's road, it needs to be in the next 12 to 18 months. So I'll be getting to that point where I'll be, I'll be considered too old. So, um, what's this space, I think, mate? So, I, I'm in no rush to, to take a different job. I love the one that I've got. But um, but I'd never say never. I've, as you can see from me, my varied CV, uh, I'm not afraid of taking the challenge on in, in different areas. So, something, something became available and I thought, you know what? That'd be a real challenge and it interests me. You know, I might consider it, but in the meantime, I'm assistant manager of Swansea. Great and, great people. And and I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, the you know, the, the day in and day out on the grass. What's the it like off the grass? The main challenges you, you know, we, we talked before, you said you're living, you know, away from your family in a flat in Swansea, you must have been in similar England, away from home a lot. What are the main challenges about that? In the, you know, the, the, the lifestyle of a coach seem very glamorous. I mean, what are the challenges around that as well? Um, yeah, I think you can get away from the idea that the lifestyle of a coach is uh, very glamorous, especially those who work away from home. Uh, spend a lot of time on the motorway, turning and throwing. So, um, so it is difficult. Um, my wife's based up north. I've got two older kids. I've got a grandkid and a grandkid on the way. So, obviously, I'm a little bit isolated. I'm, I'm in Swansea. They're based in the northwest. So it's um, yeah, it's an ongoing, ongoing and difficult challenge. But you know, if you're a coach, it's it's very rare that you're going to spend your career on your doorstep. I was lucky enough as a player and a coach to spend a lot of time at Liverpool. 
also you have to work away sometimes. You have to take it on the chin. It's just the role that we're in. You know, it's something that you have to accept. And what would your advice be to a young aspiring coach who'd like to, you know, have a good, great career in a game like yourself? Do it because you love it. Uh, I love football. Uh, I really, really love football. Bit of a football anorak, really. Love talking about it, reading about it, watching it. You know, it's um, as I've just said, it's not as glamorous as it's made out to be. There's a lot of hard work put in. You know, there's a lot of challenges put in your way um, every day regarding what you're doing in sessions, why did it work, etc., etc. It doesn't always go according to plan. So you've got to love it. You've got to love it because there's loads of knockbacks and setbacks and and stuff that is not really highlighted that often. People just see the glamorous side of it. There's a lot of stuff in the background that you need to have a bit of resilience to get over. And if you love the game, that'll help you. Um, and who's, uh, how do you develop yourself? How do you keep yourself fresh with new ideas and keep developing as a top-class coach? I'm in constant dialogue with uh, people at the FA. So the likes of Jamie Robinson, who's head of education at the FA. He's, uh, he's been, I've known Jamie for a long time since since our Liverpool days. So he keeps me, keeps me up to date on on trends in the game and we have conversations with the FA. We have uh, um, they have days where you can go along and, and, and speak to the people like you're on a pro license or other pro license and, and what have you. So it's um, so it's an ongoing education football, isn't it? And you know, I, I try and take as much as I can for as many people as I can. Do, do you have anyone you look at in the game? Say, oh, look, you know, those are those are like role models or people you you look up to and as you know, top coaches in world football. Yeah, well, you're looking at top coaches in world football at the minute. You know, you, you can highlight the one who's at Liverpool at the minute, who's done an outstanding job. He's, um, but, but for me, it, it's more of looking at a team play and. And, and can we implement the way they play into the way we play? You know, how can we transfer transfer Champions League football into the Championship team, if you like? So it's um, so I admire all the coaches, I admire all the managers. It's a really difficult job, you know. And there's some some down who, who aren't at the top of the tree and at the top of the ladder who are a little bit down the pecking order. They're outstanding coaches and don't get the credit they deserve. So it, it, you don't have to be at the top of the tree to, to learn to learn from them. You know, people have got brilliant ideas at all levels of football, and I'm open to taking them all on board because I'm a bit of a magpie in that respect. Um, and finally, what's your advice be to a young aspiring player who wants to have a career in the game? Well, it'd be very much the same as a coach. You know, it's um, it's not as easy as it looks. It's not an easy life being a footballer. <laughs> There's lots of knocks and setbacks. The rewards are fantastic if you get to the top end. But in the meantime. Especially for the modern football, there's lots of pitfalls that you're going to put up with. And, you know, if you can accept that and enjoy it for what it is, you, you know, if you can if you can treat football as a senior, like you did when you were a kid, you're halfway there because you're doing it because you love it, not because of the rewards that come with it. Mike Marsh, thanks very much, mate. It's been fantastic. Appreciate your time. All right, mate. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.